uh, about a man who found treasure hidden in a field and because of the joy of that, he went and he sold everything he had in order to buy the field. The principle was that the treasure doesn't belong to you unless you buy the whole field. When it relates to relationships, we realize that, you know, what attracts us to someone in the first place is we see treasure in them. Uh, what repels us after a while is we see the dirt. And uh, we begin to become uh, dirt inspectors rather than treasure hunters. And so the issue is we need to keep looking for the treasure, even when the junk in the trunk shows up, even when the little idiosyncrasies go up, because if we get our eyes on those things, you can, you can, you can love somebody and be really annoyed by little things that they tend to do. And we all got them. And so uh, really about buying the field is really about realizing that Jesus built our, uh, bought our field. But buying the field means all in, means a, a commitment over the convenience it means about staying at a table during a conflict rather than walking away. It means the, to value a person over their performance that, you know, will separate who we are from what we do. It means protecting others in love, not desiring to show someone sin, but to either cover it as much as possible. It means to serve in love, not just to be, we have been set free and walk in liberty for ourselves, but in order that we can serve because only free people can truly serve. You can do something, as many times people do at Christmas, they give uh, because it makes them feel good. And that's okay, but that's a kind of low-level giving. Uh, it now makes it more about me than it does about you. Uh, what, the best giving is when somebody gives to you uh, out of what they have for your benefit. It may cost them something. It may be even painful, um, but it's done out of love. Well, today we want to talk about loving like Jesus. And in uh, Mark's Gospel, chapter 12, we find Jesus having a conversation with uh, a lawyer that comes to question him, really trying to uh, trap him and, and uh, find out uh, how he could trick him. And so they come and they ask this question, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered, uh, the first of all the commandments is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Verse 30, chapter 12. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second like it is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Let's pray for a moment. Father, we, we pray and uh, are remindful of the words of Jesus as he said, let him who has ears to hear, hear. And we desire to shut out the voices around us, even the voices that would come from our own, uh, own mind. And we would desire to hear what the Spirit of the Lord would speak to us today. You are the living word. And so we come to you today to speak to us. Thank you that you indwell us uh, by your spirit to lead, to guide, to direct, and even to speak to us and through us. And so we have ears to hear today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, we have something we call the koinia principle, and that is this, that the vertical relationship with the Lord is incomplete without the horizontal relationship with one another. Uh, John wrote this, 1 John chapter 4, verse 20. Uh, he says, uh, you say you love God, but you hit your brother. It's impossible. How can you love a God who you cannot see if you can't love a brother who you can see? 
See, we do have a vertical love with God, but the way that Jesus calls us to walk out and demonstrate our love for God is by how we love one another. The cross is a beautiful example of this. When we look at the cross, we see the vertical that goes heavenward, but we also see the bars that go out horizontally, reaching out to the world, declaring that God loves the world. And now he says, if you love me, love one another. Loving like Jesus is very different than the way probably most of us were raised uh, you know, no matter how good your parents are, um, there are no perfect parents, no perfect children. And, uh, you know, in, in the book of uh, Exodus chapter 20, you know, God gave the people of Israel the Ten Commandments. Each one of those Ten Commandments were rooted in the character of God. And so there was something behind the commandment that was life-giving and meant to be life-giving to them. You know, when children are little, uh, you put boundaries around them to protect them. For me, when I was a four-year-old and they were trying to keep me in the sandbox, they had a harness on me and uh, it kind of kept me tethered so I wouldn't run out on the road, which I did as soon as I was off of the harness. And, uh, you know, God does different things to kind of put boundaries around us, uh, not to restrict or to harm us, but to actually protect us, to get us to a place where we want to give us more and more freedom as we're able to carry more and more of that. Uh, Dwayne Harder has said for many years to me, he says that the only true government is self-control. And many countries in the world, we've observed this, have fallen apart uh, when the bigger hammer was removed. The only reason they got together, the only reason those tribes got along was because somebody had a bigger hammer and they were threatened if they didn't. You know, you can do that when children are easy. You can kind of keep them apart. You can enforce it. But as they grow and as people grow up, uh, that's really, you're going to find out what's inside of us when we can actually do it of our own accord and make the choice because it's right and we're hearing God. God does the same thing for us, and he's placed his spirit within us. But, you know, in Exodus chapter 21, there was something called the law of retaliation. And uh, and we find in it an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, and it was in the law. But the intention of that was to limit personal revenge. Because up until that time, you know, if somebody just got mad at someone, uh, they, would, they would take revenge on them. If you did something to me, I'm going to do something bigger to you. I heard someone talking this week, and they were kind of joking about it. But we'll go, well, well you're going to get yours, right? You know, it's this, this tendency to have a sense of revenge. You get me, I'm going to get you, only I'm going to hit you harder. Anybody play that stupid game about punching the sides? You know, guys, you play punch your arms. Like, it's, I don't know, it's a, it's a dumb game that, I don't know if ladies do this, but guys do this. It's a stupid game. And, 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 and you don't try to hit and be easy. You're trying to hit harder than the last time you got hit. Problem is we develop that as a way to do life. You hit me, I'm going to hit you harder. Give me your best shot, because when I give you my best shot, you're going down. Right, and that's how people have lived. And, and so they would, if you hurt me a little, I hurt you a lot. And so this law of retaliation was meant, like, make it appropriate for the, for the sin that was against you. Like, keep it appropriate. It was an eye, keep it an eye. They did this, they did, but don't, don't make it bigger. You can all make a conflict bigger. Everybody can make a conflict bigger. But really, to love like Jesus is, he's trying to reduce the conflict between us, and he does it in a very dramatic way. You know, but then, you know, Leviticus 19 in the law also has said this, love your neighbor. It wasn't a new thought. It was God's plan from the beginning. Love your neighbor. So that's why Jesus quotes that. He's talking about this neighbor and to love one another. So we go from revenge to retaliation to love your neighbor. And this is all under the old covenant. 
So then we see the golden rule. A lot of people know what the golden rule is. And we see it evolving. And Jesus himself uh, uses that statement. He says, whatever you want men to do to you, Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. And so, you know, it's even better yet if you'll treat other people how you'd like to be treated. Now we, in our brokenness, we actually read that. um, If this is the way you're treating me, that must be how you want me to treat you. So we let other people determine how the relationship should go. And we're tempted to kind of give them some more of their own. Uh, But that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying to initiate and treat other people how you wish they would treat you. So that's a little different thing. It's very different, actually. Jesus defines two key things that we're going to look at this morning. He defines who is my neighbor and how to love. Who is my neighbor and how to love? Who is my neighbor? Well, in Luke chapter 10, Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan, referred to as the Good Samaritan. And uh, we have a, a lawyer who comes and he says, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Verse 26, chapter 10. And he said to him, What is written in the law? And what's your reading of it? What's your understanding of it? The Lord replies, well, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. He gets that piece. And Jesus said to him, you've answered rightly, do this and you'll live. But he, wanting to justify himself, which is what we always want to do, said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? Can you say that with me? Who is my neighbor? One more time. Who is my neighbor? Great question. So Jesus tells a story, a parable of a man who's going down from Jericho to Jerusalem. It's a desert area. It's a, it, there's not much there. It's a dangerous area. There's rolling hills, places for robbers to hide, and they would, uh, they would raid people as they're going by on the road. And so uh, a very dangerous place. And uh, this man gets uh, robbed and beaten up and left for dead and thrown off to the side. And what happened, a priest came by, and when he saw it, he wanted to get involved, didn't want to dirty himself to this, and so he, he kind of walks on the other side. It's not that he didn't see, he saw it and decided to, to walk away from it. After this, a Levite came across, and he did the same thing. He walked on the other side. And then a, a, a Samaritan came, a certain Samaritan came and saw this man. And it's interesting because Samaritans uh, were not highly looked upon. But they would be the unexpected. And so Jesus chooses an unexpected hero for this story. The person least expected to help is the one that stops, pours in the oil, cleans up the wounds, bandages up, puts his fellow on his own, own donkey, takes him to, a, to an inn, pays two days wages. I don't know what you make, but two days wages. Leaves it with the hotel owner. Says, take care of him. When I come back, I got some business. I got to go out of town. But when I get back, uh, I'll take care of the rest of the bill. Uh, I was uh, driving in this morning. I heard this little news item. It was kind of, kind of caught my ear. And this fella had left his wallet on an airplane. And somebody else had found it. He'd kind of fallen out. And it was in between the edge of the air, airplane and the seat. And in it was all of his cards, of course, and there was a check for $400 and $60 cash. And he got his wallet back in the mail with not $60, with $100, with a note saying, I found your wallet. I thought I'd round it up to 100 just so you could have a celebration when you got your wallet back. 
Hey, and this guy, so that's a good Samaritan because this guy actually did more than expected and he says it kind of renewed his faith that somebody would actually do that. Well, that's a good Samaritan. It's going over and above and, and unexpected in these days. And so, you know, when, when Jesus says to this man, this lawyer, he says, okay, so which of these three do you think was his term, was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves. And the lawyer said, he showed mercy. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. Come on, say it out loud. Go and do likewise. Show mercy. Neighbor, when they heard neighbor, the Jewish people heard the word neighbor, love your neighbor, they heard others who are children of Abraham like we are. In other words, they heard neighbor, other people like me, live near me, talk like me, look like me, sound like me, other people like me. Jesus is redefining neighbor so that neighbor, neighbor love has no ethnic limits. Neighbor love is actually evidence of the love of God. It's not about people like you or like me. It's people that are different than you and different than me. Neighbor is actually everyone everywhere. It's not the person living beside you. It's not the one that's probably sitting beside you this morning. Perhaps there is somebody there you don't know. You can meet them. You just haven't met them yet. There's people around work. There's people on the street. There's our neighbors. Jesus redefines who our neighbor is. It's anyone everywhere that God loves and cares for. He's redefining what a neighbor is. Now, he, he redefines how to love. How to love. In John chapter 13, verse 34, 35, we, we love this passage. It's not new to us at Koinonia. Uh, we have referred to it, and it's been part of our DNA from before we ever had our first service. And it's this. Jesus is saying to his disciples, a new commandment I give to you, let you love one another. But here's how he redefines how to love. As I have loved you. That you also love one another. It's not about love how you've been loved. Not love how you think you should love. Not love how you've been taught to love. But love as I have loved you. As the example that Jesus gave. By this, all will know you're my disciples. It is such a radically different way to love that people will actually believe you're my disciples. Why? Because I don't think we can love like Jesus in our own strength. I think that's part of the point. How did Jesus love? Well, Jesus loved first. He was the first to love. Paul got a revelation of this, that Jesus loved him long before Paul loved Jesus. We love him because he, come on, first loved us, Love. Love's first. It doesn't, well, if you do this, then I will. That's not, that's not love. That's, that's conditional love. That's, that's, not, that's not love. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus loved unconditionally. He loved with, uh, with compassion. He loved without prejudice. He loved sacrificially and completely. And the cross represented the greatest love possible. Even before the cross, this is what Jesus declared in John 15, 13, and his point was not just about what he was going to do, which was true, 
but what he's calling them to. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. Jesus said, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna prove my friendship and my love for you. I'm gonna lay my life down for you. But he was also calling them to live and to love in the same way that he did. If, I don't know how many husbands we have in the room this morning, but this is what Ephesians chapter five, verse 25 says. Husbands, love your wives. Here it goes. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Well, when Jesus said, take up your cross, where you have to lay your will down for the will of the Father, deny yourself and follow me. He knew that without the power of the Spirit, we could never deny our own will. That's one of the biggest problems we have in North America because uh, we have so much and we've been so blessed and we're all about choices we can get to make and what we get to do or what we don't have to do other things. We can get to do it and choose and it's all about what I want to do and what you want to do. We need the power of God to actually deny ourselves, and we have to deny ourselves in order to really love like Jesus loved. Jesus didn't love for him. He didn't, he did not give because it's going to make him feel better. On the contrary, he loved knowing it was going to cost him everything. The point is that loving like Jesus raises the bar. It raises the bar from what? Well, it raises the bar over the law. The law was good because it came out of the heart of God and there's, uh, there's a reason behind it. But Jesus is all about the spirit of the law, not the letter of the law. And Paul, being a uh, professor of law, understood that when he got saved because he's so thankful for the spirit of the law. Jesus gave us examples of that when yeah, he would heal on the Sabbath because it really bugged them. And I, you, you notice that Jesus, it seems like he healed mostly on the Sabbath. Certainly those are the ones that are recorded for us. His point was, he said, that man was not made for the Sabbath. Sabbath was made for the man. He says that's the spirit behind keeping the Sabbath. It's for life. It's not for death. It's about spirit, not about letter. It's not about have to. It's about get to. It's about understanding more. In, in Matthew chapter 5, referred to many times by, as the Sermon on the Mount, in verse uh, 20, chapter 5, verse 20, uh, Jesus says this, I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless your righteousness exceeds. Amplified Bible says, unless your righteousness, your uprightness, your moral essence is more than that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This word exceeds actually means superabounding quality and quantity. To be in excess. In other words, our moral uprightness, our righteousness in God has to be greater and exceed superabundantly, the word is, that of the scribes and the Pharisees who are just keepers of the letter. We're called to be keepers of the spirit and allow the spirit of God to rule and reign in our hearts and through us. In verse 17, same chapter, Jesus said, do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy it, but to fulfill it. James refers to this in chapter two and verse eight, where he refers to the uh, law of love as the royal law. If you keep the royal law of love, you will keep all of them. If we really 
learn to love like Jesus and to do it first and do it for the best of others, then we actually will not desire to have their spouse. We won't desire to have what they have. We won't covet this. We won't use the name of the Lord in vain. We can go on and on and on. It's about being governed on the inside by the Spirit of God, not outside by boundaries and fences. You know, we uh, sometimes don't know how disciplined we are until we don't have boundaries. And then we find out only too often that the only reason we did something was because we had boundaries put on us. I remember a conversation took place outside one time, a fellow who'd been in a discipleship program, a live-in discipleship program for quite some time. He was a little nervous. We were talking one day, and he felt like he was not doing very good. And actually, he was doing very well. Um, but, you know, he says, well, I did better when I was in, you know, the program. And I said, actually, you're doing really, really well. You're being a little tough on yourself. You're actually doing better now than you, you were then. And he, he goes, I, I don't understand, Pastor. And I said, well, because when you're in the program, they told you when to get up in the morning, when to go to bed, and what to do in between. You didn't have any choices to make on your own. Just did what you were told. I said, now you're having to get up on your own. You have to get yourself ready, get out the door. Because mom's not chasing you out the door. You gotta get out. You gotta work on time. You're getting at work on time. You're doing great. But he had to learn how to live without other people putting the boundaries on and doing the right thing because it was the right thing. Because he desired to. Not because he had to, because he wanted to. He got to do that. That's, that's a part of liberty. Liberty sets us free so that we can do some of the same things that we had to do from a totally different motivation that we want to do them. Sometimes people say, well, I don't have to read my Bible. No, you're right. You don't have to read your Bible. But if you want to know about Jesus, you should want to read your Bible because he is the living word. I'm working in a new Bible. This is an old one. It's a friend. It's been a lot of places with me through a whole lot, and it's uh, got a writing through it, and a whole lot of things God said to me. And you know what it's like when you're breaking in a new Bible? It's a scary thing. Because one of these days, I'm going to leave this one home and bring the other one. And right now, I'm starting to journal in it. Allow God to speak to me fresh. It's amazing what you can see when you put away what God has said before and, and have fresh revelation of what God is saying to you. You know, in this passage, Matthew chapter five, six times Jesus said, you have heard it said, but I say to you, he's, he's redefining their world. You've heard it said, you've been trained this way, but I'm saying to you this, in verse 38 of, of Matthew five, he actually forbids them to take revenge and instead insist on something positive and good in the face of evil. But he goes on a, a list of things, each of the six things he's addressing. Verse 39 talks about how to, how to respond to personal in, insults. Somebody insults you. In verse 40, he talks about legal contention. What do we do then? How do we respond? What does that look like now? In verse 41, it's about forced labor. When you're forced to do something, are you gonna be, play the victim because the Roman soldier has a right to get you to carry his equipment for one mile? Or are you gonna say, I'm so free, I'll carry it for you two miles? He could have done one and he'd have to do that. But Jesus is saying, no, convert it into what you choose to do and you stop being a victim. 
When someone decides to steal from you, sometimes the right thing to do is just give it to them. Change the kingdom and look to God for the reward. Because God can reward better than anyone else can. God's always about guarding our heart. Jesus is always about not playing the victim, but walking in victory. In verse 42, he talks about requests for gifts and loans. And how do you respond to people? How do you respond differently? In Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, Jesus tells another situation. You know, the ones he says, your, your righteousness has to exceed that of scribes and Pharisees. And they come and he says to them, yeah, you're tithing all the littlest pieces, the, the mint and the anise and, and uh, the cumin. But you've neglected the weightier parts of the same law, which is what? Justice, mercy, and faith. You should have done both. It's not either or. It's both. You do this, but from a different perspective, you do it now out of the grace of God. Now I get to do this because I carry the heart of God. Loving like Jesus. It's not you stop loving people. Well, it's like, well, you know, what about your wife? Well, yeah, I don't, just don't know if I just love her like I was. That, that, that's, that's not the point. I don't have to love my wife. I get to love her. Don't have to go to work tomorrow. I get to go to work tomorrow. There's a lot of things we don't have to do, but we get to do the right things, but the motivation has got to be the love of God and wanting to fulfill God's purpose in the earth. We focus in on Matthew 5, verse 43 to 48. This is what Jesus said. And you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I said, you love your enemies. Boy, that's pretty radical. Like, that's crazy. They're just, they're just hearing him trying to stretch the boundaries out that your neighbor could be anybody. But now he's saying, love your enemies. That makes loving your neighbor seem easy. Because we can all find a neighbor that would be easier to love than maybe the enemy. I want you to bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes, what, his sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. If you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? Now, tax collectors, you know, you can actually have a born-again tax collector. You can actually have that today. But back then, if you're a tax collector, they're all crooked. Uh, they, they're abusing people, taking advantage of people. They were, they, were, they were the enemy. They were a problem. And they were the sinners. Jesus is literally saying, people who love you, you can love them back without me. We don't, we don't need God to love people who love us. I've met a lot of people in my life that didn't know God, but they loved each other to the extent that they could love each other. And I walked away from one couple one day and I heard the Holy Spirit say, it's a shark marriage. Shark like his, <coughs> you know, like shark. And I didn't know what that meant. And he said, it's, they just agreed to feed off of each other. So I'll meet your need if you'll meet my need. And I'll only meet your need if you meet my need. And as soon as this stops working like this, we got a problem. That's not loving how Jesus did. Jesus says love first. Love unconditionally. 
I mean, he's raising the bar on this. The, the grace of God upon us is a wonderful thing, but he's raising the bar and he's making it as abundantly clear that we cannot do that in our own strength. We have to allow him to work in us and through us. And Jesus said that the greater the revelation you have of how you have been forgiven, the greater your thankfulness. The point is not to just make it about us. The point is to make what he did in our lives and to you and I and to give that away to others and declare that message and share it with others so they might know that the love of God is for them too. Therefore, you should be perfect. Not perfect as in never do anything wrong because we, we believe that NPP is a theological truth. There are no perfect people other than Jesus. This per- word perfect doesn't mean perfect, you never make a mistake. It means complete and whole and mature. So this is part of the maturing, the transformational process that is taking place within us. Love your neighbors and love your enemies. It's getting more radical all the time. Luke chapter six, verse 27, Jesus said, I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. I don't know if I say that. Do good to those who hate you if somebody comes to mind. Hopefully not too long a list. A lot of us probably have somebody who hates us or thinks they hate us. But Jesus is saying, love your enemy. Literally, your adversary or foe, those whose actions or words manifest hatred for you, who despise and persecute us. This is the kind of love that's only possible through the power of Christ. He says, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, uh, don't, don't curse them back. He says, do good to those who hate you. Don't do any evil towards them. Pray for those who spitefully use and persecute you. The Amplified Bible uh, gives us a little bit look at this when he says to love your enemies. He said, unselfishly seek the best or the higher good. You probably heard that term, do this for the higher good. It's actually a love term. Pray for those who persecute you. Show yourself by our responses and our reactions that we're children of God. This word love is the Greek word agape, and maybe heard that before, but agape is not really that feeling love. If you're thinking about getting married to somebody, you don't have any of that feeling love. It's not everything, but it's something. So I would suggest you don't go forward with it if you don't have some feeling love beforehand. Because there will come some days after that you won't feel that love, but you still love a person. It comes and goes sometimes. Feelings change. But this love, agape, is, is, is about an unconditional love that is doing things for the benefit of another person. It's about unselfish concern for another. It's about a willingness to seek the best for another person. And that does not come naturally, but supernaturally. And we actually require the power of God, I believe, to do it and to love like Jesus It was Jesus who on the cross said, Father, what? Forgive them, for they know not what they do. They do not understand the spiritual implications to their actions and to their words. I'm convinced that if we really understood the spiritual implications to our words and our actions, it would change what we speak and what we do. You know, I used to say when we were kids, you know, sticks and stones break my bones, words never help me. I break my arm any day over the words that get spoken. 
because our bodies heal much quicker than our emotions and our hearts. Well, Paul is getting a revelation of what Jesus said to him. What, pre, what Paul really is preaching on is things that he has, uh, the Holy Spirit has shown him about what Jesus said, what was recorded. And so uh, he's processing this through as one who was the greatest persecutor of the church and now is one of the greatest proponents of the church. In Romans chapter 12, uh, verse 17, it's a, a wonderful practical chapter, actually, the whole chapter talks about renewing our mind, but then it goes on in very, very practical applications to us. What does that look like? We're just going to look at verse 17 to 21. Repay no one evil for evil, he says, having regard for good things in sight of all men. If it's possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. That doesn't mean people will all be peaceable with you. It means we can choose to be peaceable with them. Uh, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves. Rather, give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Which is why God calls us to forgive people when we get offended or they offend us is to forgive them. And sometimes people are resistant. They'll say they don't deserve it. That's not why we forgive people. We can forgive people so we can get set free no regards, no matter what they choose to do. So our freedom is not dependent on our person. It simply depends upon God and doing what he said to do. He said, just said, forgive them. I've forgiven you. Forgive them. Forgive it. Let it go. Let it go. Leave it with me. Don't try to take revenge on them. Don't try to show them. Leave it with me. And there comes a place when you've tried to be peaceable uh, that you, and that's not working. You, you kind of want to, and, and he says, just let it go and give it to me. Just forgive them. And let it go. If your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him drink. In doing so, you'll heap coals of fire on his head. Do not, here it is, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's what Jesus did. It's how he lived his life. When they try to push him off the cliff, Jesus just walked through them. He could have called for lightning and killed them all. He just walked through them. He tried to help many people that didn't really want his help. He didn't go after them. He just released them to find their own way. He came to save, not just to judge. People's own decisions would determine the judgment. God's love for us is to motivate us all for the Great Commission, to get our eyes off of ourselves. Marriage is this, to be this great demonstration to the world about how God loves us unconditionally. When husband and wife are standing there, becoming husband and wife, declaring their vows to one another, they're making unconditional vows and mean it in the moment, but too many times they're not looking far enough down the road to realize that it will require them to make that same commitment over and over, to die to self in order to love another, to love first unconditionally, sacrificially. Love your neighbor, everyone, everywhere, not just the ones like us or the ones we already know. Love our enemies, love loving the hard, not just the easy. There's people who are easy to love and there's people who are hard. And enemies, people who may be against you or speaking about you or talking about you at work, you know, those are the harder ones, but God can help us because we need his help to do that. 
not just the ones who love us. And we love like Jesus, first and unconditional and completely. But it's only possible through the power of the Holy Spirit. We say, ah, it's impossible. Yes, it is for us in our own strength. But that's what Jesus calls us to. The first fruit of the Spirit that Paul lists in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, is love. And some would maintain that all of the fruit of the Spirit are just shades of love. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, temperance, faithfulness. Love, like Jesus. First, unconditional, for the benefit of another. It's pretty radical. You can only do it by the power of the Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you today that we have been recipients of your love. And there are times that we wonder about your love for us, Jesus, and why you would love us so extremely. But it's because you are love. And you call us to love others as you have loved us. We realize that it's only as we're grateful and thankful for your love that we can love others as we receive your forgiveness to be able to forgive others, as we have received mercy to give mercy. We realize that we need you daily to love through us, that we're not capable of loving like you, Jesus, unless you love through us. And that's what we invite you to do today as your people. Love through us. We think about the people in our world, the people around us, those who are easy to love and those who are difficult to love. And we say, Jesus, help us to love like you love. It's in your name we pray. Amen.